This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. I believe I've got a word uh, for the church. Uh, just let me tell you before I start, you will hear, um, I'm, I'm going to allude to my story. I'm not going to uh, tell my story. I'll weave it in today. But just to give everyone hope, if this is your first time or your hundredth time in church, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is in the business of transforming lives. And I know because I know what He's done uh, in my life. I wrote this book, Unashamed, um, which really just tracks in so many areas. I was born in Sydney, Australia. Uh, the, you know, my parents were Greek immigrants. I'm, I'm both Greek and a woman, so I only speak three ways, hard, fast and continuously, so good luck. And so so, uh, and, and you know, I, I grew up before my Big Fat Greek wedding came out. So it was not cool to be Greek in Australia at that time. I was very marginalised because of my ethnicity, very marginalised because of my gender. I grew up in a culture and tradition where women were really not in any way encouraged to, to do anything. We were just taught to be a lean, mean breeding machine. And that's awesome. But I've done that. There's got to be something else. Anyway, so on top of that, um, I grew up in the poorest socioeconomic uh, poorest zip code in my state, the third poorest zip code in all of Australia, um, in government-assisted housing. And, um, you know, grew up uh, pretty much from the time I was three years old right through to my mid-teens. Um, I was sexually abused by four different men, most often weekly, often several times a week. That messes with you a lot. It messes with you majorly. I never went from one stage of development to the other in any healthy way. Um, there was much wounding done in my life, uh, throughout my life, and I developed a lot of defence mechanisms in order to cope with the pain. That's what we kind of do. We try to anaesthetise the pain or numb the pain or develop uh, systems to not let people close because once your heart's been broken, you don't want anyone to do that to you again. So I was a very angry young woman. I was a very bitter young woman. Um, I protected myself. I was a, a perfectionist, high achieving. Um, and that was kind of how I coped. I coped by creating boundaries that formed a prison to keep me in and everyone else out. And so I was very, very broken. And then um, at 33 years old, I got a phone call from my brother George, who was 35 at the time, because when you're Greek, all your brothers are like George or Nico or Spiro or Con, you know. So George calls me and he said, Christine, I just got a letter from the government. And um, he says, and, and you know, in that letter, it said that I'm adopted. This is what he's saying to me. Now I started laughing because you know, like when, um, you're growing up with your siblings, you're, you're like, you're adopted, your mother's from Mars, you know, you kind of tell them. But then when they actually call you and tell you, that they really are adopted, you don't believe it. And suddenly you go into defence mechanism. And so I'm like, George, you know, obviously they've sent this letter to the wrong person, that they've made some kind of administrative error. Call mum and call me back. My dad had died when I was 19. And so at my mum at this time was 61. I was 33. My brother was 35. Um, my younger brother was 30. And so George calls my mum. And then he calls me back about 10 minutes later, but this time he is sobbing. And he says, Christine, it's true. They told me the name of my biological mother, my biological father, when I was born, when I was immunised. I have a whole file on my life. And he goes, I'm going to go and tell mum. And so he was, you know, going to go over to my mum's house and confront her. And I don't know if you know anything about Greeks, but they're crazy. And so what we do is we act first and think later. And I'm thinking anything could happen in this place. And so I jump in my car. I go to my mother's house. And I walk into the lounge room just at the moment that my brother is giving my mother this document from the government. And um, I saw my mother's face change, totally change. I thought, oh my gosh, this is true. 
And my mum just started crying. She said, George, I'm so sorry. All of the adoptions in Australia, they were all closed adoptions uh, 35 years ago. We never thought you would find out. And one of the final things I promised your father before he died was that I would never tell you. And I tore up all of the paperwork and I, I threw it away. So church, you could imagine, uh, this was a big fat Greek moment. You know, my mother was crying, my brother's crying, the dog's crying, you know, snot's flying. It's like kind of all happening. And so what do you do when you're a Greek daughter and, and you've got this kind of thing happening? I go to the kitchen, I think I'll make food. Baklava is the answer to life, the universe and everything. So I'm thinking I'm going to go and, and make some food. And as I'm in the kitchen, my mother comes in behind me a few minutes later and she says, Christina, since we're telling the truth today, do you want to know the whole truth? I was two weeks out from my 33rd birthday, so it would be almost now, 17 years ago, my birthday, if you want to send presents, is on the 23rd of September. And so it was just around this time. Um, she said, you know, do you want to know the truth? And I don't even know really why I did this. I turned around and I said, um, I've been adopted too. And then just with tears streaming down her face, she just nodded her head. And um, I was stunned, church. You know, it's quite a bizarre thing at 33 to find out that you're not who you thought you were. And I was just, you know, quiet for a moment, which in and of itself is a miracle greater than the resurrection of Jesus. But anyway, so I was standing there quiet. And then the first thing that came out of my mouth, the very, very first thing I went, Am I still Greek? And I thought, because I was called a lot of names at school for a lot of years, and I wanted to know there was a reason for all of that persecution. So anyway, the first thing I said was, am I still Greek? But then the very next thing that came out of my mouth in my Greek Orthodox mother's kitchen in that moment, I said, I want mum. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, whosoever womb that was, he knew me. He knitted together my innermost parts. He fashioned all of my days before as yet. There was, I was literally verbatim, I'm saying this out loud. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And church, that day, every fact that I thought to be true about my life changed. What my name was, what my history was, what my heritage was, every fact changed. And to this morning, right here in 2016, 23rd of August in Los Angeles, California, I still do not know the facts surrounding my conception. I don't know if I was the result of a one night stand. I have no idea if I was the result of some ongoing adulterous affair. I don't know if I was the result of a rape. But although I don't know the facts, this is the thing that I've come to tell you today. I've discovered there is a force on the planet much higher than the facts and it's called the truth of the Word of God. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 does not say that I am the workmanship of a rape. It doesn't say that I'm the workmanship of an ongoing affair. It says that we are God's workmanship and that we've been recreated in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what your start in life has been, but I am here today to tell you that you can start bad and you can finish good in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, He is alive. He is alive. This thing is life to me. It's not a job. It's not a game. It's life. I was dead and Jesus Christ made me alive. And He took this unnamed, unwanted, you know, my birth certificate doesn't have a name on it. It's this child's name and literally it has in typed in the word unnamed number 2508 of 1966. So I'm a kid that was left in the hospital unnamed and unwanted, abused for all of those years, marginalised. And it would be just like God to say a lot of bad things happened to you, but Romans 8.28 tells us that God is able to work together for good 
even all of the bad things that have happened and that He is able to take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for His glory. So it would be just like God to say, you know what, I might take this unnamed, unwanted abuse chick from the back of Sydney, Australia and raise her up to lead one of the largest anti-trafficking organisations in the world to help rescue and restore people that have been abused and broken and help you. And let me tell you something, you don't have to feel sorry for me. Every time through A21, we put a trafficker in jail. Every time we see a child or a woman rescued and we've got 14 officers in 12 countries around the world and almost daily seeing people that are being rescued and restored. I fly right out from this the second service. I go straight to LAX to fly to Greece, to go to the refugee camps where we're helping in all the 50 refugee camps in Greece to do prevention and awareness for all of those 69,000 refugees. Every time one of those is rescued, I think, devil, you can stick that in your pipe and smoke it. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good and He meant it to see many, many people restored. See, that's, that's the kind of business that our God is in, that He makes us more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, but more, what is the more than part? It's when you stick it in the devil's pipe and say, you wanted to take me out with this, but God is gonna use it to take you out and see many people rescued alive. So why has God set us up? As a church, and of course, I, I have a particular passion for Zoe churches because, um, you know, I'm Greek and your name is Greek, so that's awesome. And um, and because Jesus didn't come just so that we can have life, but we can have life more abundant, that Zoe kind of life and too few people live a Zoe kind of life. So I thank God that this community of believers is right here in the heart of the city, telling people that there is a better way. There is a higher way that you were created on purpose for a purpose and and God has so much for you. And so we're going to turn on this first anniversary since I am the official designated first anniversary speaker. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I love the Word of God. The Word of God saved my life. Let me just say, I, I'm passionate about this word. It's not just another book. This is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not just a nice little textbook. It's not a nice little self-help motivational book. The words on this page are alive. They took a dead woman and made her alive. And I'm in this thing every day. And this is what infuses me with power and life. So I'm so glad that we always come around the Word of God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20, in the future... Well, this was written several thousand years ago. So this is the future that we're talking about, just in case you're wondering. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws of the Lord our God has commanded, that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord, everyone say, but the Lord. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But He brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land He promised on oath to our ancestors. So Moses is saying, the Lord's telling him, hey, in the future, in 2016, in the middle of LA, when a bunch of cute Awesome young people, mostly, and me, because we're all young. It's got nothing to do with age. I was the one dancing at the front and those of you that are half my age were just like, anyway. And so um, the point is that when a group of believers gather, I want you to remind them when they ask, what's this whole deal about? Some of you, this is your first time in church. Some of you, you know, you didn't even realise yet you were in church. You thought you were in a nightclub. You're like, what is this, a Monty Python show? Where'd she come from? So the point is that you're, you're wondering what, what is going on. But for those of us that perhaps have been around for a while, it says, when, when, when you all gather together and, and people say, well, what is this whole deal about? 
What, what, is, what is all this book about? And what is all this gathering about? And what is this point of this God and this Jesus Christ in the midst of, of our secular, humanistic, pluralised, relative culture? What is this whole deal about? He goes, I want you to remind them that God brought us out miraculously from slavery, 430 years of bondage and slavery. And because I rescue slaves around the world, this is very tender to me. The people of God were in slavery for 430 years. God did many signs, wonders and miracles. That's what the Scripture says to part the Red Sea. It wasn't just a, 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 a Hollywood movie, it like really did happen. And so they parted the Red Sea and they walked into the wilderness, ready to go into Canaan, which was the promised land. And He says, when they come together, remind them that God brought them out of slavery to take them through the wilderness into the promised land. The goal is the promised land. The goal is Canaan. Freedom is in the promised land. The wilderness is just deliverance, not freedom. You're delivered from bondage. You're delivered from slavery. But freedom is to be found in the promised land. Most Christians settle for deliverance when God has freedom for them. Most churches settle for deliverance when God has freedom for them. Many people with my kind of background, they come out of their bondage of abuse, out of their bondage of addiction, out of their bondage of destructive patterns of behaviour, but they never step into the Zoe life, never step into the abundant life, the promised life. They just exist in the wilderness rather than thrive in the promised land. I'll show you what happened in Scripture. If you go back a couple of chapters in Deuteronomy chapter 1, the Bible says, these are the words Moses spoke to all of Israel in the wilderness, east of the Jordan, that is in the Arabah opposite stuff between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hezabath and Dezahab. It takes 11 days. Everyone say 11 days. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by Mount Sea Road. In the 40th year, I don't even have to go any further. It takes 11 days. Now in the 40th year. Look, I, I'm an English major. I've got a degree in English and economic history. So basically I can read golden books and count to 10. And so, but even for someone with just an English degree like me, I understand that there's a slight disparity between 11 days and 40 years. And this is what happens with many, many Christians. What only takes 11 days, metaphorically speaking, ends up taking us 40 years. 40 years, we do the same old laps around the same old mountains, never walking in victory. We still walk around the same bitterness, the same unforgiveness, the same anger, the same addictions, the same doubt, the same fear, the same insecurity. We keep going around the same old mountains, the same old obstacles and the same old hurdles. And Moses is saying, hey, God brought us out not to do laps around Mount Sinai for 40 years, but He brought us out to take us in. There will always be a wilderness. There will always be a journey that you have to go through, but don't camp what you're only supposed to pass through. You're supposed to go in and possess. As a church, God birthed us here, not just to do church every Sunday, but that we would go in, we would possess the land, we would bring the light, the life, the mercy, the justice, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and a broken world. He brought us out to take us in, individually and corporately as a body. Now let's get to my text. That was just introduction. <laughs> Joshua chapter 5. The Bible says, now when all of the Amorites, okay, so what had happened was the children of Israel, they had come to the edge of the promised land but their doubt, fear and insecurity made them go back. That's what happens to a lot of us, even people with my kind of background. 
You put your own background in there, whatever it might be, abuse, addiction, uh, pain, violence. You just keep going through the same old cycle and go, why am I not walking in victory as a Christian? And people used to say, well, Christine, you're just a strong personality. That's why you're walking in victory. Can I just say this to you? Freedom is not a personality type. Freedom is a blood type. It's the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It sets us free and it's for everybody. So what you call my life is the normal Christian life. I was once bound and now I'm free. We make too many excuses in the body to say why it doesn't work, why the blood doesn't work, why the power doesn't work, why the Word, I just have to live with this forever. I just have to crippled walk through this forever. And we don't live a Zoe abundant life because we continue to yearn for our old life and we continue to stay between two places. And God says, I brought you out to take you in. I did not. You're gonna have to walk through a wilderness. Yes, there is some pain. Yes, there is some challenges. Yes, there is some loneliness. Yes, there are some sense of dry but the fact is you don't have to camp there. You can go through at 50 years old, married by the grace of God for 20 years, have two daughters. You know what? I should be in a psych ward with my kind of background, the kind of damage that was done to me. I should be addicted to a hundred different substances. I should be in and out of relationships. I should be confused about my gender identity. That's what happens to people like me. But God, God brought me out to take me in. There is victory, there is life, there is liberty. That's what happens. God brings you out to take you in and then to make your life a fruitful life so that you can reach back and pull other people out. What He wants to do is keep you stuck in the wilderness so you forget why you came out and it becomes all about you. And then you never turn around and help anybody else out. So what do you have to do if you're gonna possess? Because the text we're about to pick up from, what happened was a whole generation died in the wilderness. We've been here in North America. That's why we're in the mess that we're in because that's what wilderness mentalities do. They keep you in here. And a whole generation had to die before God raised up another generation. That's why you're seeing churches planted. That's why you're seeing God doing what He's doing because He's saying, oh, no, no, no. Now we're gonna remember what we're here for. Okay, that last generation didn't wanna believe God. So I've gotta raise up another generation. And you're gonna come to the edge of the promised land, Joshua. You're gonna bring it right where Moses brought it. But the people are gonna have to make some decisions to do some stuff. And you know what, Joshua, if they're not gonna do it in your generation, I'll wait for the next generation. We get a chance to do what was never done by the generation before us if we choose to go in and to possess the land. We are pivotally in this moment, historically in this nation, while all of the world is freaking out. Let me tell you, America's problem, it's not a political problem, it's not an economic problem, it's not a moral problem, it's not an environmental problem, it's a faith problem. We've got too many unbelieving believers. We need some believers that believe in faith to go in and take the land. That's what God needs for us to do. And so what happens in Joshua chapter five? The Bible says, now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, that their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. That'll wake some of you up right now. A Sunday morning, she's talking about cutting things out. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Halath. Now this is why he did so. This is pre-epidural people or whatever else one uses. I've never had this procedure, but all the men are crossing their legs and looking straight ahead right now. But normally happens when you come out of the womb, not when you're a grown man. This would be, ouch. Now this is why He did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. I want you to hear me loud and clear. You're going to get the Cliff Notes version this morning, but this is basically what it is. God says, Joshua, before you go in, you're standing on the edge of Canaan. 
Zoe Church, you're right here, right here. I called you out to take you in to possess the land. But before you go in, here's the first thing I need you to do, Joshua. I need you to circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. What does that even mean? Because God's saying, okay, the generation that came out of Egypt, that generation, the one that died in the wilderness, they had had their own cutting away. They had paid their own price. But the generation that was about to go into the promised land, they're the ones that were born in the wilderness. They hadn't had a cutting away. They hadn't paid their own price. See, you're sitting here in this building this morning. Well, this, this didn't just happen. Somebody paid a price over this last year for you to be here. Someone paid a price this morning for, for someone to come and plug these wires in, to, to plug these screens on. Someone's paid a price to do pastoral care. Someone paid a price for this to happen. And God's saying, this is awesome. You're here now because somebody paid a price then. But if you are gonna go in and possess the next level of the promise that God has for you as a person and for this church, then you've gotta pay your own price. There's gotta be your own cutting away. Someone else, is not gonna pay the price for you. Your cute little rusty dusty is sitting in that seat today because somebody paid a price for you to be here. And this generation cannot go in and get the promise based on the price that was paid by the generation before them. Everybody must pay their own price. How does the writer to the Hebrews say it? You want a New Testament example? He says, therefore then Hebrews chapter 12, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, not God, us, let us lay aside, here's the cutting, the weights and the sins that so easily ensnare us. If we're gonna run unhindered the race that is set before us. And the fact that the writer to the Hebrews says weights and sins suggests to me there's a difference between a weight and a sin. Because some of the stuff that's holding us back is not necessarily sin, it's just a weight. It could be the people that we're hanging out with. They're good people. They might've even led us to the Lord. But the truth is you get into a faith environment like this, you take 10 steps forward, you get around those people and all of a sudden you've just taken 10 steps back. You know, God doesn't really expect that. You don't really need that kind of commitment. You don't need to serve that much. You don't need to sow that much. You don't need to give that much. You don't really need to tithe. That's like Old Testament. You don't really, they'll just pull you back. And the same people that helped to elevate you here are now becoming an anchor and a weight and dragging you down there. It could be a level of thinking. You've thought a certain way about, so that's great. It's brought you here. But the truth is, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8 says. So your level of thinking is now bringing you down here. It could be a level of serving. You've been serving in church life at this level and that's fine, it's got us here after a year. But the truth is your next level of breakthrough spiritually is for you to now start serving at this level. So if you keep serving here, this is now a weight, an anchor. It could be a level of giving. God's next level of financial breakthrough for you is that you go and give at another level. Now, you're, what you're giving now is good. It's not a sin. But the truth is that your next level of breakthrough is to trust God in your finances at this level. So if you now keep giving at this level, it's become a weight and an anchor. Every time Nick and I are gonna open a new office, it costs us millions of dollars. Well, the fact is it's not your giving, but it's our giving that determines how much that's gonna grow. Because every time we need to trust God at a whole new level so that He can open a whole new aspect of giving and flourishing into our lives. I mean, we could go on forever. Or it could be sin. Now, we don't like that word in our postmodern, secularised, privatised, pluralised 21st century because it's a little bit uncomfortable. Christine, that is so old-fashioned. Sin. But here's the deal. Tomorrow in Australia, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, she's been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. She needs a bone marrow transplant and she starts chemotherapy. She goes into one of the top hospitals in Australia for six weeks where she'll be having chemotherapy every day. Now, do you think the doctor 
would have been nice and kind to my sister-in-law. If he didn't want her to feel uncomfortable about what was going on in her body. So he said, you know what? You've got a cold. So here's a Tylenol. When what she needs is chemotherapy and a bone marrow transplant. There is a 75 chance possibility you are gonna make it. And I'm believing that's gonna be 100% today when we did prayer requests. See, sometimes you don't know, people are holding prayer requests. I was praying for my sister-in-law this morning. It's like, oh no, no, I'll tell you the resurrected King, He's resurrecting me. He's resurrecting my sister-in-law. I mean, people come into church. This is not a game. This is life and death. This is real. That's what's going on. But here's the deal. If the doctor gave her a Tylenol for what needed chemotherapy, you would think you would sue him for malpractice. And let me just say something to you. By us pretending something isn't what it isn't, is not actually helping. It's like saying, you've got cancer, but I'm gonna give you a Tylenol, drink it anyway, and I hope you feel really comfortable on the way. If I had a bottle with a poison sign on it, and I took the poison sign off and I said chocolate syrup, and I put that in your refrigerator, you would think I was psychotic. Because the milder you make the label, the more potent you make the poison. And so Jesus says, there's a cure for sin. It's called my blood. And everybody can be redeemed from that. So let's not call it what it's not. And let's call it what it is, not out of guilt or judgment or condemnation, because there is only one cure for sin. And it's called the blood of Jesus. Now, let me give you a very simple example. After 12 years of abuse, I was full of unforgiveness and full of bitterness. But the Scripture tells me, Colossians 3.13, as God has forgiven my sin against Him, so also must I forgive. As God has forgiven me, so also must. If I do not forgive man's sin against me, then God will not. In the book of Matthew, there's some pretty full on things about unforgiveness and gossip and slander and anger and bitterness and offence. Oh, the list is endless. But that's not because God's going, oh, I want you to miss out from having fun. But it's God actually saying, this thing is gonna kill you. Because let me tell you what is worse for me than me being sexually abused for 12 years. Much worse than that if you could even think there's anything worse. It's me carrying those abusers into my future every single day through bitterness and unforgiveness. You see, I had to let go for me. Some of you are playing games with sin and it's killing you. It's killing your joy. It's killing your purpose. It's killing your future. Jesus has died for it, yes, but you hanging onto it is hindering you from living the Zoe life that God has called you to live. And so He says, lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares. So he says, hey, Joshua, circumcise, cut away the sons of Israel again the second time. This generation doesn't get a free pass. Jesus paid the price on the cross, but all of us are called to live a holy life and to become conformed and transformed to the image of Jesus Christ and to deal with our stuff. The second thing he says to him, it says in verses 10, sorry, eight and nine. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. Sorry, 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 let me jump on. I could go on and read this forever. Let's go to verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, the very same day they ate the produce of the land. So here it says, the Israelites stopped. So they had their cutting away. They had to heal because it would have hurt. There was no anaesthetic. And then what they had to do was keep the Passover. Well, today we know the Passover is symbolic of Jesus and the price that He paid for us. So Scripture is saying, hey, before you go into that promised land, stop and fill yourself with Jesus. When you go into the promised land, there are going to be giants you're gonna have to confront 
fill yourself with Jesus. There are going to be obstacles you're going to have to confront, fill yourself with Jesus. There are going to be temptations that you're going to confront, so stop and fill yourself with Jesus. Church, when we're talking about possessing the land, when we're talking about the church being a presence in the city, when we're talking about you prospering and being victorious in your realm of influence, your sphere of influence, your job, we're talking about advancing the cause of the Kingdom. You see, it's all about Jesus. When we talk about Zoe Church going forth, it's all about Jesus. It's about exalting the name of Jesus. It's about establishing the Kingdom of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This whole deal is about Jesus. So what are you filling yourself with every morning? What are you filling yourself with? Because it is amazing what we are consuming that is killing us, especially in this city, especially in this city, that somehow we think if we feast on the things of the world, we won't be like the world. But whatever you put in, that's what's gonna come out. So how much Word are you putting into you? And you're wondering why you're not prospering and moving forward and living in victory because you're filling yourself more with the things of the world than the things of God. So what are you filling yourself with? Because the promise is right there. Canaan is right there. This thing is life, life in a world that'll pull you down. It's like I've got a whole chapter in Unashamed about why I am in this Word renewing my mind every single day because I can't survive a day without it. I am only ever one thought away from going back to how I used to think. One thought away. And so we need to be in the Word. Let me go on. The Bible says, I love this. It goes on in verse 11. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped. The day after they ate this food from the land, there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. I love this. So the Bible says the manna ceased for 40 years. God had dropped bread out of the sky. For 40 years, they didn't even need food. They just woke up and there was enough for today. And so eventually you don't even live in faith anymore because that's how God's always done it and that's how God's always gonna do it. But then what happened was as they were gonna go into the promised land, the manna ceased. God says, I'm not doing it how I did it. Because in the promised land, I do things differently. In fact, if you go and read it, it says, Joshua, you plant your own corn, you dig your own wells. I'm gonna tap into the potential I've put on the inside of you. I'm not just gonna give you a day-to-day just enough manna. I'm gonna give you more than enough that's in the promised land. Listen to this, a church or a Christian that lives in the wilderness, just get by, just enough for today, will never understand a church or a Christian that's in the promised land. A A Christian that's in sowing and reaping and multiplication and abundance and more than enough. A Zoe church was never created and never birthed by God to be a wilderness church. Just enough for today. We just wanna get our needs met today. We just wanna, no, no, no. We wanna be above and above and above and over above and abundance church that is able to give out of our overflow to see a city reach with the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see in the wilderness, we just, I want manna. That's where the church has been for too long. Just enough for today, Lord. Just enough for today. He goes, I'm the God of more than enough. But I do it differently. You know, it's funny, my husband and I, we travel so much. So you go to churches, it's amazing. And because God once moved on a song 30 years ago, every week, man, they're back singing that same old thing, trying to get the same anointing, trying to get the same old flow. But the fact is it's stale manna. It's got no nutritional value. It's mouldy. So they go back and they're trying to suck life out of what is already dead. And they're still singing Noah's Ark's greatest hits because God once moved on a song 150 years ago. Some of you, something happened to you. A teacher said, you're dumb, you're stupid. You didn't get that role. 
Someone abused you, someone violated you, an ex-spouse walked out on you, said no one could ever love you, someone hurt you, something got into your spirit, but it happened 15 years ago, five years ago. And you know what? Your body is here today, but everything about you is still stuck in that moment back there. Your reactions are stuck in that moment. You haven't moved on. And the Bible says the man has ceased. Children of Israel, you cannot stay here like this anymore. If you are gonna go into the promised land, you've got to move on. You've got to move on from that pain. You've got to move on from that situation. You have got to stop looking over your shoulder. You've got to stop looking back. You have got to move on. The man has ceased. Let me finish with this. I've got eight points, but we're only going to get to this next one now. Joshua chapter six, verse one. If I got to eight, I'd say I've got 16 because I'm making them up as I go. Okay, so now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hand along with its king and with its fighting men. Let me tell you what this means. So let's just explain what's happened. The children of Israel, after 40 years, a whole generation has died, have gotten to the edge of the promised land. Here we are, we're one year old and we've got our future ahead of us. God birthed us and He called us to take us in and take the land, both personally and corporately as a community of believers. So what do you have to do if you're gonna take the land? Well, the first thing you've got to do is circumcision. You've got to have a cutting away. You've got to cut away the weights and the sins so that you can be lighter to move into. And it's an ongoing process. I'm 50 in one month. Don't forget to send presents, 23rd of September. So I'm 50 and there is a constant, Christine, you wanna go to a new level? Cut off, there's weights and sins. Keep cutting, keep cutting, keep cutting so that you can keep moving through. Make sure that every single day you're filling yourself with Jesus. Make sure that that's what you are starting with and what you are consuming. Consume worship, consume praise, consume the Word of God, feast off it and starve yourself of the things of the world if you're gonna go in and do that. Christine, you gotta move on from where you were, both bad and good. Don't get so caught up. Some of you, you were once a high school athlete or a college athlete and you've got all of these awards and you don't realise that you've never even gone for a jog since then. And all you've ever done is you go back, man, look at that trophy, look what I did. And whatever that last thing was, that's what you still define your life by. And God says, my greatest things for you are ahead of you and not behind you. Stop building a pilgrimage to what you once did and move on to what I am now doing and what I wanna do in the future. We need to move on. We need to move on. And then finally, we need to have faith to believe God. The Bible says that they came to the walls of Jericho. What do you do when you've done all of that? What do you do when you have cut away certain things, when you filled yourself with Jesus, when you've moved on and God's done a miracle, man. The River Jordan has moved back. You've now walked across on dry ground and you are expecting to go into the land of Canaan. You have been faithful with this deal. You have done what God has called you to do. What happens when you're expecting now to partake of milk and honey and you are confronted with a wall? You're not in the wilderness anymore. You're in the promised land. You're in the blessing of God. You're in the abundance of God, but there is a wall. What do you do when you were never expecting a wall? You were never expecting that diagnosis. You were never expecting that relational untangling. You were never expecting that dream to die. You were never expecting that bankruptcy. You did it all right. You've cut away things. You fill yourself with Jesus. You have done and moved on and you continue to be faithful. You've walked across a river Jordan. You're ready to eat of milk and honey and you're like, I did not expect a Jericho wall in the promised land. God, I thought it was milk and honey. I'm not in sin, I'm not in disobedience. 
but there is a wall. I don't know what your wall is this morning, but we've all got a wall. And God says, I'm going to give you a strategy that makes no sense. A strategy that is absolutely defies reason and it defies logic. You're going to march around this wall for six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to do it six times. And you are going to keep marching around this wall. And you're going to keep, what do you do? You keep praying. What do you do when you get that diagnosis? You keep coming to church. You keep worshipping. You keep sowing. You keep giving. Why do we come week in after week? God, how is this wall? going to come down. What about my children? What about my relationships? What about that business deal? What about that role that I was believing you for? What about that dream? What about that destiny? God, I was not expecting that diagnosis. What do you do? You got to keep taking another lap. You got to keep taking another lap. You got to keep taking another lap and enduring and keep believing that your promise, you're already in the promised land. You're just waiting for God to tear down this wall. And how do you do it? You do it through ongoing praise. You do it through ongoing worship. You do it through ongoing prayer. You do it through ongoing commitment. You do it through ongoing giving. You don't run back to the wilderness. You just take another lap. This is where your spiritual disciplines become crucial because you keep going round and round. And then God will say, you know what? Now is the time. I'm going to shout and this wall is going to come down because it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. Your wall is going to come down. Just take another lap. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep sowing. Keep giving. Keep serving. So what is Zoe? church do in year two, this is what you do. You take another lap. You keep coming to church. You keep sowing. You keep serving. You keep giving. You keep bringing. You keep being steadfast and faithful and immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labour is not in vain. And then God will say, shout. And the wall will come down. And you will get premises. And you will get breakthrough. And you will get favour. Just take another Another lap. Zoe Church, take another lap in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by the message. To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.